Hey, much to cover today, and, uh, and so in terms of intro, uh, let's not have one. Let's just go right to this, this piece of scripture, because I really have a lot that I want to talk with you about today, and uh, it, it, we're going to talk about your most favorite subject today, and it's you. Isn't that great? Thank you, Kendall. Yeah, we're gonna, that's, that's the subject today. Uh, we're going to talk about you. And uh, so it's, it's really interesting. Uh, did you know that the Bible has to say much about you? It has to say a lot about the truth about you and how you view yourself. And uh, so today we're going to look at that truth and uh, look at, uh, if you have your Bibles today, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. And we have uh, been spending, uh, well, the last whatever it is, so many months in Colossians, and we are right now in chapter 3 where, where Paul has really been encouraging this young church to um, live a holy life. And he starts out in, in chapter 3, and as you can see there, he says, since then you have been, in, in verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ, and he talks about set your hearts on things above, and then in verse 2, look what he says, says set your minds on things above, and then after that, he goes down to verse 5, look what he tells me, he says, put to death these things, therefore whatever belongs to your earthly your earthly nature, and he talks about sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires, okay? He says, you used to walk that way, but now you don't. So he's, he's, he's giving us these encouragements. Then in verse 9, he says, do not lie to one another. And then right here is what we're going to tackle today, which is this scripture that says, do not lie to one another. After he says all these things, then he says, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, Okay, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. Look there again, I want to say it again. So he goes through all those things and he says, don't do these things since there's something that's taken place in your life. And this something that's taken place when you came into the family of God as a result of the cross, what happened there was since you have taken off your old self, okay, and I want to talk a little bit about that today. Since you have taken off your old self with his practices, and then, now look what he says, having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. When you buy faith, let's talk about this concept here to the left. When you buy faith, received Christ, and believed in Christ, you joined the family of God. In the middle of these two things is this. It's a cross. And before you came to know Christ, you were ruled by, Paul gives us this picture, he gives us a clothing picture. You have, you've taken off the old self and now you put on the new self. Well, before you came to know Christ, if you're in Christ today, if you're a Christ follower, you were ruled by the old self and now as a result of the cross, when you came to receive and believe in Jesus Christ, now you have a new self. Something dramatic has happened to us as Christ followers, as people. The old self, the old humanity before Christ 
it's kind of like this concept that Paul talks about. He says, now that you have taken off the old self, it's almost like he's referring to this. He, he loves to use these metaphors, where he, and, and this metaphor is kind of about taking off this old set of kind of shabby clothes, never to be worn again, is this concept that he's trying to get us to understand. Since you have taken off the old self, that's the picture that he has for us. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Okay? The old has passed away because the new has come. So we're not old anymore. As a result of being in the family of God, we are a new creation. Romans 6 says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So what is Paul saying here? Sexual immorality, impurity, and lust, and evil desires, and greed, the stuff that he's been covering in chapter 3, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying, those were all things that you used to wear. Those were all things that you used to wear, okay? So Paul didn't start the show, or uh, whoever didn't start the show, what not to wear. You ever seen that show? What, what, have you ever seen this show? Yeah. Uh, what, what is going on when the, 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 the the girl or the guy, whatever, is sitting there and they, they, they obviously have videotaped this person and this person dresses in kind of these shabby clothes and doesn't look too hip and cool and happening. And so they get her and, and they say, okay, well, you, you can't wear that anymore and, and they, we're going to give you $5,000 to go and put on new clothes. We're going to get you a new wardrobe. And uh, then she goes, okay, great. So excited. And then they go to her closet and they start taking the things from her closet and they, they're brutal about it. They say, I'm gonna, we're going to throw them in the wastebasket. And she begins to cry. There's like a lot of these where they'll begin to cry about the clothes that they want to kind of throw out. Have you seen this before? Why would she be crying? Why do people on American Idol that go and try to, you know, go for it, get in front of Simon Cowell and, and get brutalized, why do they walk out of there crying? What's going on? What do you think? I mean, what, are they just upset that somebody told them they can't sing or they told them they can't wear their clothes? Or Why do the people on The, the Biggest Loser? What's that? Insecure. Something maybe, something deeper is going on in their lives, and we'll get back to that in a minute. But the concept that Paul's trying to get us to here is this. What, a, what you, as a believer, you don't have these clothes on anymore. You have a set of new clothes that I want you to think about wearing. And that's an important metaphor, an important thing for you to kind of get. Every one of us who has ever bought something new always wants to wear the new thing. You don't go out and buy something new and say, I want to put that in a closet to look at it for a long, long time. My girls in my house, when they buy something new, they want to wear it and they want to show it to their dad. 
So they put it on and they'll come in and they'll, when they were, especially when they were little, they would come in and, and they, daddy, look at my dress. And, you know, I would say, you know, spin around and, you know, like that. And the little dress would go, you know, right? And they wanted to hear something from me. And what they wanted to hear was, you, you're beautiful, baby. You're, you're absolutely beautiful. I love that dress. The colors look beautiful with earrings. Okay? On and on and on. Well, the image that the Bible portrays to us, and it is a, a feminine image, it's okay for you fellas, you can deal with it, is that in Christ, we've been given the new dress. And because of Christ's death, Christ is the one who makes us beautiful and able to spin around. And when we spin around as life goes, God looks at us and says, you're beautiful, baby. You're mine. And even though you live in a world that says that you're not beautiful and you have to continue to try to work for your beauty, because of my death, you're beautiful. Because of my death, you're now a new creation. You wear a new dress every day. And the earrings look just perfect. Bank on it. Count on it. Well, if you're wondering, you need to not wonder anymore because when you think about practical Christianity, there's much of practical Christianity that is founded on the full recognition of truth about God and about us and about self. Practical Christianity is really, there's a, it, Paul does this well because he speaks about what is the truth about God and what is the truth about us. Now notice what I said, truth. And as I say some of these things to you this today, please do yourself a favor. Don't do this. Heard this before or I, I wish somebody else was here to hear this. Hear this for you. Because the scriptures have much to say about the truth about you, how we view ourselves in this world. How do you view yourself in this world? How do you view your Lord? And Paul is excellent here when he's talking to us about this concept of taking off the old self as we exist, our old selves, and then this new self. Who are we in this world? In what way are we secure? Did you know that you answer these questions every day? What is our functional identity as human beings in this world? What is our functional identity as human beings in this world? Why are we valuable? And all of the answers to those crucial questions are found in the new self. Every one of them. And none of these answers to those questions are found in the old self before Christ. If you're looking for your value, if you're looking for security, if you're looking for self-worth, if you're looking for significance, please start looking in the right place. And the right place would be here and what God says to you about your new creation, not your old self. Paul says, take that off. Put on this. Since the fall of man, or since the fall, man has often failed to turn to God for the truth about himself or herself. 
Instead, he or she has looked to others to meet their inescapable need for self-worth and significance and belonging and identity. Did you hear what I just said, sister? Because it's, it's important for you to hear that. Did you hear what I said, brother? It's important for you to hear that. Since the fall, man has often failed to turn to God for the truth about himself. Instead, he or she has looked to others to meet their inescapable need for self-worth and significance and belonging. There are those who believe that who they are in this world is what they do. I'm a businesswoman, or I'm a businessman, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a mom, I'm a doctor, I'm a musician. Well, that, that may be your calling or your vocation, but it is not your functional identity. Do you understand what I said? There's a great distinction between that. And many of us, the biggest loser, the people on American Idol, the, the, you, your neighbor, have come to the place where we've said, what we do is who we are. You can talk to one brother, and I've had many of them come into my office, or sister, and they say to me, they say this word, well, I am a survivor of sexual abuse. So their functional identity and how they define themselves is by that. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a person who grew up in a dysfunctional family. I am depressed. I am angry. And if you're in Christ this morning, if you're a Christ follower, here's the great news for you this morning that you need to hear. None of those things displace the fundamental identity of being a new creation in Christ. None. None. The world can tell you that. The culture is very good at telling you about who you are and your identity and your search for significance. And all you end up doing, by the way, is they're just, all they're doing is they're running these tapes in this, in this whole sphere over here. You can, figure out your, your, you can figure out yourself if you figure out your past. If you know things about your dysfunction, if, whatever the case may be, we can go on and on and on. As a child of God, those, that has nothing to do with your functional, fundamental identity as a woman of God, as a daughter of God, or as a son of God. Nothing to do. Do you know who you are? When you wake up each morning, what is your functional identity? How do you define yourself? Do you define yourself as a successful person? As a person on the move? As a person who doesn't have any money? We can go on and on. And I want you to understand something. How you define yourself, there's a critical connection to how you behave during your day. Do you get it? 
How you define yourself is a critical connection to how you behave. So if a young lady defines herself, follow me now, if a young lady defines herself as I'm worthless, I'm insecure, I'm crap, I've screwed up, I'm nothing, I'm irredeemable, and she meets a guy at whatever club on Friday night, okay, she's going to behave very differently if she were to stand up and, or wake up that morning and said, I'm not worthless, I'm very worthwhile because of what Christ has done. I'm very beautiful. I understand exactly what Christ has done for me and I'm gonna go for it. That's a very different way. That's hopefully gonna dictate the way she behaves even on that Friday night. A young man comes up to me and he says, my father didn't believe in me. He said terrible things to me and I'm nothing but a byproduct of the pain that he brought on my life. And as a result of that pain that has been brought on his life, the way that he now is gonna behave in life is what's called the great makeup call. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna in some way prove to my dad that he's the one who was the screw up and I'm the one who's gonna do the great things. In other words, what he believes about himself has an intimate connection with his behavior. Do you think so? What Satan does it's the lie that he operates in here, is he says this. Self-worth equals performance, position, and other appro others approval of me. And many of us are on that wheel. We get on that wheel like a little mouse and we're just gonna ride that baby and we're gonna perform right and if I get into a certain position, everything's gonna be great and I want others to like me. And if they can like me and I wanna get them to like me, then in some way, I'm gonna feel good. And that is the lie from the pit of hell. Because for those of you that have been on that wheel and are probably all of us, we'd probably all be able to raise up our hand and say, well, it works for a little bit, but it sure doesn't work over the long haul, does it? See, one of the things that we have to be careful before I talk about the new self real quick is this. We have to be careful. Follow this now. We have to be careful. We, Paul says that we've been transferred because of the cross. We came, when we came to know Jesus in, the, in this faith understanding, we received Christ. We, gotta be, we, we were transferred to this. We're a new creation now. But we've got to be careful because what we have many times is we can, we can understand this. We can see, think that the cross got us here, but then we kind of forget about the cross and we go back and we start thinking like that. We have these tapes that are going on. Right? Let's talk about this concept of the new self. Put on the new self, Paul says. So take those clothes off and put on this new self. And let me say some beautiful things to you today that the Bible says about you and I. Man, they're good. They're so good for you to hear. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We are God lovers. We are not our job. We are not our children. And we are not our husband's slave in the house doing laundry. 
We are not, we are not. We are not our possessions. We are a new creation. The truth is that, the, that one's true self, one's full humanity only emerges once the shackles of the old humanity have been thrown off and Christ shook off the old humanity at the cross. Our true self is who we are at the spirit level. At the deepest level of your personhood, the Bible says you are not a sinner. You are not a screw-up. You are not worthless. You are, your sin hasn't defined you. You are a saint. You are God's holy and righteous, blameless child. You are a son, a daughter, that is now your functional identity. I've told you before that I had the greatest, I had the greatest uh, dad in the world, and I loved being called his son. And many of you haven't had that experience and may find it difficult to be able to understand that the Father calls you son. Maybe because the only way you can really interpret it is through your, some dysfunctional horizontal way that maybe you were treated from your dad or your mom. And the Bible says that even the way that the Father looks at you and treats you trumps even that, that you're a son, that you're a daughter, you have rights in the house, you're in. Did you ever go home after school and just go to the refrigerator? Our refrigerator was, it was the, the place that, that meant that when you got home, that was, you, you had access. You know, you could, you could actually walk in and you could, you could just eat what you wanted to eat. You had refrigerator rights. By the way, does anybody in your life right now, any friends or community, have any refrigerator rights in your house? Like people that would know you well enough? Do you have anybody in your life that knows you well enough that can come in and drink your beer? Huh? <gasps> I, said, I said beer on Palm Sunday. I shouldn't have. Okay. Do you know, do you know anybody... Do you know anybody that could come into your house and drink Diet Coke in your refrigerator? Is there, any, is there anybody in your life that's that close that they can walk into your house, they don't ring the doorbell, they can walk right in and go to your refrigerator? The concept is this, that, 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 that you, have a, you, have a, you have a king that has come and said, the house is yours. I'm, I, I rule the house. The house is yours. You have refrigerator rights. You're a son. You're a daughter. You don't have to ask if the macaroni is going to be used for dinner that night. Eat the macaroni. The macaroni be in the refrigerator. You didn't catch that. Okay. So let's answer the questions. Real quick as we close up, let's answer the questions. Who are we in this world? Accepted sons and daughters of the cross. Accepted sons and daughters of the cross. Hey, young lady. I'm, think, I'm thinking about, there's a lot of faces that are coming to my mind when I say this. Do you understand that you're an accepted son or daughter of the cross? You're accepted? Who are you in this world? You're an accepted son, accepted daughter. In what way are we secure? The cross has secured everything. What is our functional identity as human beings in this world? Sons and daughters who carry a cross. And why are we valuable? Christ died for us on the cross. So all of your functional identity 
is completely tied in with the cross. It's all about the cross. So the cross is much more of, a, of an issue than the fact that I get now to go to heaven. The cross actually has given you, as a new creation, an entire different way of thinking and doing life. It's given you a power that you never had in your old self. For those of you that don't know, um, I was, uh, I ran a, an adventure ministry in the mountains of Colorado before I came to Nashville, and uh, we, ran this, we ran a base camp at, at about, oh, 7,000 feet of altitude out in the mountains, and it was quite funny, a lot of the adventures that we would get in, because we'd have guests that would come, and um, we didn't have uh, any running water or any lights at this place. This was kind of a rustic, kind of a strategy, you know. And uh, so I'm, I'm getting ready for bed one night, late at night, about 12 o'clock at night, and, and you're in your tent, and whenever you see the flashlight coming near your tent, you can see it on the outside, you know, I was going, oh, oh good grief, there's something wrong, and so one of my staff members, it's Joel, you awake? And yes, and I get, out of the t I get out of the tent, and he says, um, somebody was walking to the, um, to the John, the outhouse, and they lost their toilet paper, and they're in a really bad way. <laughs> And so he says to me, grab your flashlight and we gotta go help because apparently this person, and when you're out, and when it's not, when there's no stars in the sky in the Rocky Mountains and there's pine trees everywhere, you could drop the toilet paper there and be thinking it's way over here and before you know it, you're like in Arizona. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, and so sure enough, it was unbelievable because by the time I got down there, all you can see in the dark is these flashlights and people laughing and talking that we were looking for a roll of toilet paper at 12 midnight or whatever it was so somebody could deal with our emergency problem, okay? And I remember the great joy when somebody said, found it. <laughs> we took care of business, that person was able to take care of business and it was great. Hey, I want you to know something. You can stop in your life at, at doing something that the world tells you that you can't do. Because of Christ, you can stop the search for, for this significant significance and belonging and self-worth that so many of us are on. It actually can be stopped. You can turn off the flashlight and you can say, hey, I've been found. I'm gonna raise my hand and say, I've been found. I, you have been found by God. We would even go so far as to say that you didn't find God. God found you in his son, Jesus. He found you and he came and made a, just a glorious wreckage of your life. You weren't going to get away from him. He found you. And what a beautiful way to think about life when you think about I've been found and that the search can be called off. Even as sons and daughters, many of us are still on a mindless search for significance. 
our performance and ability to please others so dominates our search for significance that we have difficulty recognizing the distinction between our real identity and the way we behave. We believe that we can satisfy this deep yearning and hunger if we find others that will love and approve us. It's not true. Others are going to let you down. How much of the way that you view yourself is shaped by what Jesus did for you on the cross? Let me say it again. How much of the way that you view yourself is shaped by what Jesus did for you on the cross? There could be some of you in here this morning that don't know Jesus. You haven't been reconciled to God. You haven't received Jesus Christ. I implore you, as Paul implored the Corinthians, be reconciled to God. Do not live outside of the intention that God may have for you on your heart. If you don't know Christ today, please come up and talk with me because I want to tell you about him. When this says here at the end, let me close by saying this to you, because it's an important piece to get. When Paul's saying here, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed, you see what it says there? Which it says it's being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. I want you to make sure you hear this. God's plan is to bring man back to the destiny for which he was originally was created. And the original creation and the plan for man was that man would be an image bearer of God. And to accomplish this, in order, because of man's sin, God had to send Jesus to us. And if you accept Jesus' sacrifice for you on the cross, God gives you a new nature and gives you a new, under, completely new way of doing and seeing life. But this concept that I wanted to remind you of here is this. Being renewed is change that takes place, and it is progressive change. And many of you sit in my office, I wanted to make sure I reminded you of this, many of you can sit in my office and you, you've said statements like this to me. You said, well, change isn't possible because that's who I am, and that's who I'm always going to be. And I would probably have to look at you and say, no, a better statement would be for you in the areas that we're not changing is, that's who you were, that's not who you are. Many of you are, I think some of you are in a quandary about why we get together as a church and why we get together as a small group. Why do we? Why would we get together? Why would we meet at a coffee shop and talk about Jesus? Because we're on a mission to be renewed in the image of God. God has an image that he wants to make out of us. And that has to do with change. And God is on a mission to change the very face of our lives, the very heart, the very way we do life. And it's a good thing for us to be together. It's a good thing for us to be in community. Because we need that, every one of us. So I want you to think about this this morning. There's a lot there to think about. 
Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for uh, so much. God, thank you for sending us Jesus and thank you because of his death and his resurrection. Now we can even be new creations. Our security, our belonging, our significance is because of what you've done for us on the cross. It's so hard to be in the world and try to figure all this stuff out out there. And, and many of us today are sitting in this room and we're, we're victims, we're hurt because of that. And Lord, I, I, just, I just pray this morning that, that we would be a people who understand you as our functional identity and what you've done for us. Who understand you and the cross's importance in our lives. Thank you, we pray this in your name, amen.